You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Occam's razor put simply states that the simplest solution is almost always the best. It's a problem solving principle arguing that simplicity is better than complexity. William Occam lived in the 14th century, about 150 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Why do we even care? Because this theory has driven so many of the greatest thinkers of all time over the last seven centuries. And it applies today to nearly every problem in healthcare. Here's the most hopeful message that I see, feel, and breathe almost every day. The solves are out there, the hacks are out there. They're simple fixes. They aren't one size fits all fixes, but they're big fixes. And the CEOs and physicians with a cheaper, better, faster way populate this show. That's what this is all about. I try to tease them out, but some of them will not appear on the show. They're reluctant because they feel like they'll be targeted. And I'm talking about earners that are in primary care making over seven figures. That's a million dollars if you can't count the zeros. They feel targeted and are not going to be on this show. So there's a family doc in the middle of nowhere who retired early, who got me started on this journey. And he had tens of millions and he retired in his 50s with a normal family practice with an edge. And I'll talk about that in a second. He had 12 ancillaries as his real business. Or I can talk about a consultant to 50, mostly PCP practices, who over time teaches them how to net seven figures using ancillaries. There's four other doctors I've met that net over a million dollars in their practice. And it's all legal. And it's all within their scope. And it's all about ancillary income because that is the only one of two solutions for primary care to survive. It is not going to survive on its own with no ancillaries. The other option, by the way, is direct primary care. That's another time for another show. So today's guest is an ace at tapping your inner social media genius. As a doctor, publicizing your ancillaries, your expertise, your philosophy, your values, how you present yourself to the world. And it's amazing how few physicians are involved with social media. Let me introduce you to Donna Coriel, MD. She is a board-certified internist with over a decade of experience working in outpatient general medicine. Family Magazine named her one of the top 10 internists to follow on Twitter. Medical Economics has written about her. She's been at LA Times, Boston Globe, Neurology Today, Self Magazine, and many more. She began to write in a personal blog, taking on a sabbatical, and discovered this talent to connect that she never knew was in her as a social media writer. But how to mix the newfound creativity into a practice that simply lacked it, she began pushing boundaries in digital healthcare space. And with that, So Me Docs was born, short for Doctors on Social Media. So Me Docs is a network of doctors looking to mingle virtually, arm members with the best online tools to remote your voice and your brand, and then to make an impact globally, both individually and with collaborations. Somi Docs now has 10,000 followers and millions of tweets across social media, and uh, odd to say this, but going viral on the healthcare online space. 
So Donna, viral is finally a good thing in healthcare, huh? Yeah, that's funny. I always say that as well. I like to infect people with positive things on social media. <laughs> so I like that joke. What you're doing is a real uh, privilege to talk to you, but it's also a real uh, important new direction that physicians should be going if they're not even looking at. What is the data on social media in medicine today? Well, so as just a tool for communication globally, um, the internet is taking the world by storm, really, because over 50% of the world is um, online and over 40% of the world is active on social media. So that makes it over 75% of online users are actually on social media. Um, I think that actually the medical world and healthcare in general, we lack behind the times. And so what the rest of the world knows in terms of the utility of social media is actually something that we're not really a part of and we're certainly not taking advantage of it to the max. I mean, I can say so much about that, but one of the things that I think is true is that physicians especially, we're so busy day in and day out especially with some of the healthcare breaks that are happening right now with our healthcare system. We're so busy and we're so overworked and we're trying our hardest to survive in this field, especially in primary care, that we just don't have the time to tackle social media. And yet social media may be a solution to some of our woes. So doctors more than almost any other profession you and I could probably think through fear lawsuits and blemishes on their records for later credentialing. Do you think that that's a big factor besides the time you mentioned as why they're not getting involved? Huge, huge. I mean, huge is an understatement. And here's why. I mean, you take someone who isn't a doctor and they go online and they make a claim. And for the most part, they don't care. They don't care about the legal ramifications because like who goes after just a random person that makes a claim online? Usually we don't, we just say, ah, that person's, a, I don't know, we use words like quack, right? But when a medical doctor goes online, just having those two initials or four initials, whatever it is, wherever country you're from, but just having earned that degree sets us up for potential legal ramifications. And there's something wrong there because as a society, right, don't we want the people that have their degrees in healthcare making healthcare claims. And so I do think that legalities are at play here. And I actually think that legalities are one of the root, the way that they're set up now is one of the roots of our problems right now in medicine. So if I'm hiring, if I'm in a hospital HR department and I'm hiring a physician, I'm going to definitely take a look at their social media presence to see if they haven't slept and uh, made a mistake. I think, again, this fear of that happening to them is probably overblown because maybe there's been one or two public lawsuits that are very visible, but it's, it, they're one in a million lawsuits, aren't they? So that's a great question. I actually, it's funny you said that because you're right. I don't think it's happened very frequently, but I have to tell you as someone who sort of prides herself at being innovative and I'm thinking ahead I don't think this is something that will be true in the future. I do think that the lawyers are, they're smart. <laughs> and this is an untapped territory and it's an unexplored space that will be very much explored in the near future. And so I don't necessarily think that this will not happen in the future. I do think that physicians have to be careful. And I think that um, discussions like ones that you and I are having right now need to be had because how are physicians going to be protected 
if we want them, right, the, right, the rightful influencers of healthcare, how can we protect them from being sued if we want them online influencing? So let me, let me give you an opportunity to present one or two thought leaders that you see in primary care that are using social media well. So these physicians listening to us can follow those folks and see how they're presenting themselves, how they're stepping into their leadership and how they're stepping into their thought leadership. There are, okay, I'll, I'll list a few. Um, What's really amazing about social media is that each physician can sort of craft a presence that is specific to their niche. Like you can literally pick a topic, even if you're a primary care doctor like me who takes care of patients um, just generally speaking, right? I'll take care of someone who walks in and has an eye lesion the same as I'll take care of someone who walks in and has abdominal pain or fever or a toe issue. Um, what's nice about social media is that you can actually hone in on something specific. The reason I say that is because I know a lot of physicians that ha have sort of taken on um, work in a specific field, even though, though they're generalists like primary care physicians. So for example, Greg Sal is out there. Um, she's I don't remember if she's a family medicine doctor or an internist, but she just wrote a book on vaccine advocacy. And um, I think that's great. Um, someone needs to step up and do that because there's a lot of anti-vaccine um, rhetoric out there and false narrative about that topic. Um, so another person that um, writes about, she focuses on I believe dietary and heart health is Dr. Monique Tello from Boston. Um, she's an internist and she's out there sort of talking about this important issue. And then someone who sort of speaks about everything and has a really big presence is Z-Dog. Um, he, I really like what he does because he sort of taps into the creative and he sort of takes on like this almost like other personality. He's got like a Darth Vader and he takes on rapping, but it appeals to the masses, but it appeals to the masses and very health positive messages. So those are important things. And then one last person um, to mention is Dr. Jill Grimes. She's a friend and a colleague. She's a family medicine doctor who is writing a book about um, STDs and especially um, geared towards teenagers. And that's a specific niche that's, that's very important as well. Um, but she's a wonderful person to follow as well. Great. Um, what are your favorite platforms to watch? Are you a Twitter? Are you Facebook? Are you LinkedIn? What do you like to keep your eyes on? Great question. So um, being the quote social media expert, someone who's created SomiDocs and having people reach out to me daily and follow me, I actually have prided myself on using all of them, believe it or not. Um, I, maybe I'm better at some than others, but um, I honestly feel like they're all really amazing. It just depends on what your endpoint goal is and also your target audience. So if you want a specific age group, then you want to target the platform where that age group is sort of um, hanging out at. And so Instagram is typically going to attract a younger crowd, a more millennial crowd, whereas places like LinkedIn, um, they, LinkedIn draws in the more professional crowd, the older crowd, um, a little bit more sort of professional in its rhetoric and in the um, ideas exchange there. Um, so again, it's platform dependent. Um, I personally really love Twitter. I think Twitter is fabulous for me, for idea generators and for creatives, because it allows you to really just spew out an idea and then spew out another idea like minutes later, which makes it fabulous. 
So again, it depends on what you like. It depends on your talent and when you're, what, it, what you're good at. And a little quick pointer out there for people that are scared of using platforms is that you don't have to be good at a platform. I wasn't good at everything when I began, but you slowly tweak your journey and you get better as you practice. Practice really does make perfect. So there's a, I think, an error in thinking. A lot of folks think that Twitter and the like are going to generate tons of business for you right away. That, uh, and, and then they'll read some statistics. They'll Google that maybe 66 or 67% of the folks using social media are not generating any business from it. So the way I look at social media, and I don't know how you do, but I look at it as a way to recruit people. I look at it as a way to establish myself as a thought leader. I use it to... Um, I've never gotten a single client out of it, and I don't, that's not actually the purpose of it. It's when I walk into a room, they know who I am because I've, they've read something I've written. So it's, it's maybe more gravitas for me than it is um, anything about generating patients or generating clients. Do you agree with that? I absolutely do. In fact, I often point to the error in how physicians view social media and that we're so algorithmic in the way that we like to look at things, right? We're always sort of looking for that algorithm. If I use social media, then my patient load is going to increase. And it doesn't work like that. It's not magical in that way. It's magical in that over time, you can see the benefits, but it's not going to happen overnight. There's no sort of magic pill that will make it better. There's no magic pill in, in real life anyway, right? We always say to people, like, I'm going to put you on a pill, but it's not magic. You have to work on lifestyle modifications, right? Same with social media. Like, nothing's going to get you from, like, from zero to, like, being you know, the world's foremost expert just overnight. But it is possible to create a presence online and to get yourself places. So um, becoming a thought leader, like you mentioned, is huge. Um, and opening doors, networking, um, name recognition, those are all things that are possible if you craft an online presence and an online brand for yourself. Yeah, so the alternative is doing nothing. What is the problem with doing nothing? First of all, there's no real problem with doing nothing. I, I don't like to make people feel pressured or feel like they have to do something when they're not prepared. I can tell you firsthand that it was extremely difficult for me to get myself out there. And even when I got myself out there, it was hard to do certain things. And so um, there's sort of this period that you need to give yourself. You need to give yourself like a, um, a grace period to sort of get used to things and feel comfortable doing them. And um, that takes a while. So, um, so lurking is an important thing, right? That's sort of like a social media lingo. Lurking is joining a platform, but then sort of just lingering there and taking a look at how others are doing it. So when you lurk, you can sort of pick up on little nuances of what not only others are doing, but also what's working and also what fits your personality. Because you'll start to see that the virtual world has got a ton of little, like I mentioned, nuances, right? So some will fit your trajectory and some won't. So it's really important to go at your journey very slowly and to sort of craft it to your liking and to your endpoint goal. So I'll tell you about some of the setbacks I had using social media, and I'm, I'm primarily LinkedIn, but some of these doctors, I mean, it's mostly physicians that are attracted and, and C-suite hospital execs that are attracted to my my posts. And man, they'll hit me for an inaccuracy, like really hard. They will slam me. And so I have to show the source material. It's, it's, you know, I'm not giving a presentation at a CME conference. I'm just talking about 
trends and ideas and new things that they should be aware of. But man, accuracy is just, uh, I just get, you know, darts in my back every time I mention a number that's slightly off. Yeah, I think that's one of the negatives of social media, unfortunately. It, it is a rough place to be lingering in. It, it's not an easy space because you are putting yourself out there publicly and you're setting yourself up for criticism. And that's actually one of the things that I tell doctors before they're going on is just you, you do have to brace yourself because it isn't easy. Um, and social media is what is something I like to consider unforgiving. It's an unforgiving space because if you are in um, behind closed doors in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, there's much less pressure there. You can make a mistake. Um, you could still be with a difficult personality who chooses to sort of um, to challenge you, but social media in general is not only unforgiving, but it has the potential to sort of, things have, have the potential to escalate, right? Because it's so one-dimensional, it's so one-sided. So you can say something that can be a mistake and people will just start to sort of pile up on it. And people tend to gravitate towards that like group mentality. They wait for one person, for two people, for 10 people to comment negatively. And then it like almost spirals out of control. Whereas in real life, you can sort of make a mistake behind the closed doors. And even if it's a mistake that you made unintentionally, you can still apologize for it. Online, that's difficult to do. You know, it's interesting to write something that you write or that I write or any folks in social media write. It takes effort. There's a time involved that's way out of proportion to the, the one or two paragraphs or three paragraphs. But to criticize, it just takes two words, fake news or wrong. or right. I mean, It doesn't take any effort to criticize. So critics really have never bothered me because they're taking the easy path and they're not even explaining why. They just like to poke and prod, poke and, prod and see what they can uh, get a reaction to feel self-important. So I don't really worry about critics too much. What about you? That's a great question. Yeah, I think that um, the more successful you are, the more negativity, some people do like to call it haters, but the more you will encounter, um, and not always because you're saying something wrong, sometimes just because someone's resentful of the success that you're had. That's different, of course, than what you're talking about. I mean, you're talking about putting data out there that actually may affect someone else's sort of livelihood and income, and then they feel like threatened, and so they go after you because, um, because of that fact. So those are two sort of different things. Um, but both of those can be experienced online and you definitely have to brace yourself for that when you are taking that dive. I sometimes wonder, Donna, if, if folks are hoping to be the Kleenex or Xerox of a certain type of thought leadership. In other words, maybe in three or four or five years, there's somebody that just sort of owns the Mount Everest of some thought leadership in primary care. And, and they just sort of keep their position like Z-Dog has done a beautiful job of that. Everybody can't wait to tune in and see what he's going to talk about next because he's informational, but he's also entertaining at the same time. So he is the ultimate guy to watch because you're going to learn something and you're going to have some fun. Absolutely. So actually, and, and that appeals to me as well. I mean, my personality, and you can maybe hear it just in the way that I speak, I'm extremely down to earth. And that actually helped me in connecting to all the patients that I treated over the years is just that sort of, um, I don't know, that collegiality feel that people have. They don't like to come to the doctor, especially not to their primary care doctor. They don't like to come to someone who's arrogant or who thinks that they're above them. Um, 
And that has helped me there. And I certainly feel like that helps me on social media. It may actually turn off some people, especially in, for example, some academicians feel like it's too sort of, um, I don't know, it's not maybe professional enough for them, but I think that that's actually the key to connecting with the public, with non-physicians, and with getting important health messages out there, right? To put a funny spin on things, to put a creative spin on things and draw in people's attention and then deliver them evidence-based medicine. So there's not gonna be anything like Twitter wars where there's dominant thought leaders fighting each other. There's no battle bots that are gonna be going against you. It's just, it's just organic. It's people are gonna be putting out good ideas and others are gonna build on that. I do think that there's inherent competition in human beings. And so I do think that there are sometimes physicians that um, maybe throw what's called shade at each other or they throw digs at one another. It may not always even be obvious to the public. I think that physicians may comment sometimes that are underhanded and unless you're in a leadership behind the scenes position, you don't necessarily pick up on it. And I personally pride myself on trying to take the high road and just focus on the positivity of our individual abilities to shine online but I've definitely felt it as well especially the more successful um, that I get and the farther my voice carries me online I feel it so I do think it exists but I think that what gets as far as just keeping a positive voice and being a positive presence and sort of focusing on yourself and on your work and not sort of worrying too much about what other people think there is a uh, doctor who went on yesterday and he posted a story about a two hours he spent on the phone trying to get medications for a woman who's been on the same med for 10 years at the same dose. Took him two hours. And he asked for resources. And have you ever done that where you've gone online and you said, I need to find resources for this problem I'm having? I haven't, but I have gone online and vented about actually exactly the same thing. So as a primary care physician, like I, I feel this and we need solutions. But no, I don't really know what, I mean, I don't even know where I would start as a, for in terms of a resource because a lot of these prior offs, they need the physician to be online because if you think about it, right, a lot of us have or our organizations have hired help, either nurses or MAs or whoever can sort of get on the phone to pre-screen or at least get in as much information as possible. But at the end of the day, if you want the phone call to be effective, then the physician needs to get on the phone because who ultimately really knows not only the patient, but the medical necessity of having a medication need to be um, prescribed. And I'm sorry, but I have to continue on this topic because what actually bothers me so much about these prior off procedures is that I've studied close to 30 years of my life to become a doctor and to earn my degree. Why do I need to then spend time getting on a phone call and convincing someone who's very often not a physician to convince them that my patient needs something. Somebody making 12, 15 bucks an hour that wants the power play. I really don't understand it either, but, and there's gotta be better. We live in 2019, last I checked, there's gotta be a more automated approach to prior offs. That's just uh... But social media, I'm hoping, and this is where this all stems from, is actually one of the reasons why I started this whole thing is my frustration as a healthcare physician, as a person who, has not only earned my degree, but feels now like my place in healthcare is not the rightful place. Like I don't have the power that I should have. 
If I'm dedicating my life to the healthcare of a, a patient and I am working hard to bring my talents to a one-on-one -on -one visit, then why should there be a thousand people in between me and the patient? Why can't we squeeze all of those people in between us out and get to the core of what really is effective? And that's me and my patient. Well, this gentleman yesterday was a direct primary care physician, and that's exactly what you do in DPC is you squeeze out all of the middles. There's 16 different individuals attached to every doctor-patient visit. That could be your biller, your coder, your front desk. That could be your MA, but it could also be all the insurance players, and it could be all the brokers and everybody that's involved in feeding off of that. And the more you can squeeze out of that, I'm a DPC patient, and I went to go see my doctor last week, and I said, I'm a $65 profit margin to you today versus 10 or 15 bucks for everybody else walking in here. And you got it. You know, there's not one type of patient. There's multiple ways to generate bottom line. Absolutely. And that's, by the way, that's not to say that those people that have those specific uh, positions that do sort of squeeze themselves in between us right now, that they're not important because people do need insurances and people do need administrators to some degree to like help us to organize the hospital. My problem is in the sheer numbers that we have. You know, having 10 administrators for every one physician just sounds to me like an excess. And unfortunately, we have way too many administrators at this point for every physician, and it makes no sense. And so it's important to really take inventory of the positions that actually make us move forward, but also limit that to the numbers needed and to get this formula right. Yep. If you ask, if any hospital exec is listening to this and they just pull up the numbers on any of their hospitals, there's a really good chance that biller coders exceed the number of beds. But let's change subjects here because complaining is not what we do on the show. We have solutions. Right. What do you think social media is going to look like five years from now, Donna? Ooh. So I definitely think that social media is going to have many more physician voices on it in five years. Also because the track record's there. When I started um, about a decade ago, barely anybody was on it. I was really one of the only voices online and I was experimenting. And my experiments were met with a lot of eye rolls and with remarks from both friends and family who were close to me. Uh, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? It's so silly. Um, you know, what is the end point for you on this? Where, what do you think you're even doing? And just keep the white coat on. And I foresaw a future where we were all going to be online. So if any of your listeners have read Ready Player One, it's a really powerful novel. Um, and it sort of reminds me of where we're headed because we are going to be doing a lot of our transactions online. We, we in fact, are doing a lot of our transactions online. Like who doesn't bank online and who doesn't sort of um, communicate with their classrooms online? I know my son does. And I know that our children are actually socializing online. And I don't necessarily agree with it. I actually fear for it. But that doesn't mean that I don't accept the fact that it's here and that I need to adapt to it. And so that's what I'd like to sort of um, tell your audience, especially the older audience that's having a harder time accepting this because the digital age has so many negatives built into it. I think that we need to really embrace the fact that it's here and it's here to stay. How do we adapt ourselves to it and make it better and safer? So one suggestion that I use all the time is I curate my who I'm following. I cut it back way back a lot because 
I find that I'm getting postings about somebody newly hired or somebody glad you went to this conference and I don't want to read all that stuff. So I just keep narrowing and narrowing the people I'm following. So it's really much more of a curated high value list. Do you do some of that? Absolutely. And I think that you hit like a key word that I love there and that's curated. And that's the key to um, helping people ease away from their fears. And that's that you, it's your journey. You get to curate it. And so that's the power there, right? If you don't want to interact with someone X, click. If you don't want to have your profile um, tackle a specific topic because maybe you don't feel as strong about it, then you don't tackle that topic. Um, it is so highly customizable that it, that's the draw to it. I want to find so many docs if I uh, want to play in your universe. How do I find so many docs and how do I find Donna? So, Somi Docs is present on multiple platforms, and each platform, like I said, has different specifics to it. And so, there's a Facebook group that we have that's physician only. You could just basically type in doctors on social media, and you can find our Facebook group if you're a physician. There's also uh, a group that I'm growing that's a public group, and that's Somi Docs Public. Um, there's also um, our public platforms on Twitter and on Instagram, and that's um, basically type in Somidocs. We have over 10,000 followers on Twitter. Um, and then my personal accounts are all branded under Dr. Coriel. So you can find, oh, I'm sorry. And the Somidocs also has a website. So you can find somidocs.com is where we are actually generating really unique services that physicians need to craft their social media profiles. Uh, we're helping doctors find um, ways to network, to connect, to grow. And we're also featuring physician voices that are sort of unique and out of the box on our website. And then personal brand is Dr. Coriel, D-R-C-O-R-R-I-E-L. I'm everywhere. So I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram. I have a Facebook page. And um, I sort of play around, again, with idea generation, content creation, and creativity. That's my uh, forte. Well, tell your mom that you've done just fine. Thank you very much for her advice. <laughs> Thank you so much. I will. Great. Really great platform. Great to talk to you. Um, what is the uh, one thing you would say on a banner if you flew it over America, the world's largest banner? What's the message that Americans should be reading from you today? Wow, that's a toughie because I have so many things that I teach. Um, I think that as, as an individual, as Dr. Coriel, I really believe in embracing your inner creativity. I think that that's a big one for me personally. But as a Somidocs brand, I think reaching out to physicians and telling them they are the rightful healthcare influencers because I feel like that will empower them to speak up for healthcare in whatever way they feel like they're comfortable speaking up online and to not fear it. Well, thank you, Donna Clariel. Um, Doc, you've done a service for physicians and you'll continue to grow this, I'm sure. Well, we'll get you back on the show and watch as you grow and see where this is going. And uh, thank you again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.